Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I can't believe they caught us. I know, right? Because when the first group of cops moved in, I was like, I'm going to make my patented sharp move to the right and draw them toward me. So you could just, you know, gallop across the road. We don't gallop. Horses gallop. We're llamas. Yeah, we lamabulate. And I'm like, hey, suckers, watch me lamabulate. Pay no attention to the black llama. Chase me, the white llama. First of all, I'm not black. I'm white and gold. Second of all, don't think I don't hear what you're getting at. You did everything right. I did everything wrong. That's what you're implying. Whoa, wait, wait, go back. You are totally not gold and white. You're black with blue hooves and a blue snout. Uh, it's called a muzzle. Nobody calls it a snout. And so now, not only is it my fault we got caught, I also don't even know what color I am. No, dude, I totally didn't mean it that way. It's just that, you know, we're so close, it freaks me out that we're not seeing the same thing here. Do you think something happened to you during the chase? Like, did you get hit in the head or something? No, I did not get hit in the head. There is nothing wrong with me. And we are not going to talk about this ever again. Blue and black. Gold and white. I am really worried about you. I hate you. Okay, let's just change the subject. Today on The Nose, the panel is going to talk about skiing. Skiing is really fun. And now he thinks the dress looks like an elephant having sex with a men's glee club, Colin McEnroe. We sort of stole that from Woody Allen. But, yeah, I didn't even get into the colors. It's more of the shape that's bothering me. Uh, all right. So we know that we're having a national crisis right now. We know that you never needed the nose more than you need it today. I've never said that before, but I, I do. I mean it right now. You need the nose, uh, not only because of the crisis involving the drafts, but then, God help us, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy died too. So it's a tough day, uh, and it's been cold for a long time. And we're going to try to help. We're here to help you. Uh, and I mean that. So join us. We have a like, really interesting lineup here today, a little bit different. Not that we don't always have an interesting lineup, but we have exciting out-of-town guests. So uh, we've put on our Sunday best here. Joining us, uh, he's been here with us before, Brendan J. Sullivan, who will be fe- – he's an author, uh, DJ, scenester, many other things as well. You may not even be a scenester. Are you a retired scenester? I feel like a retired scenester retired sometimes, scenester. yeah. yeah. Uh, he's also a retired seamstress. Uh, <laughs> and he will be a featured speaker, by the way, at the storytelling event, The Mouth, which is hosted by Wolfie tonight at the Mark Twain House, 730 at the, at the Mark Twain House. Only $5 to go. What a deal. Uh, and uh, joining us also from New York is, uh, actually, I think I have your credits here, Lauren <laughs> Ireland, actor, writer, director, based in New York City. Uh, you may have seen her viral videos, including one that's up right now, which is uh, It's a Freelance Life. Is that what it's called? It's a Freelance Life? Yeah. yeah it's awesome. Uh, it's actually Thank up on my you. Facebook page right now. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, so not that we're not equally excited with our uh, it's not like your toys that we got tired of. We're I want you to know that. Jar. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your like your old toys that we got bored with. We're the we old some, hookers. We got, <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Hookers. Yeah. All right. Uh, we, uh, from the Mark Twain house, that's Jacques Lamar. I barely even need to tell you that. And from The Cut, uh, a magazine for the rapidly aging and deeply cynical uh, young adults of Connecticut, it's Teresa Kramer. That's everybody who's here. Uh, we, uh, we're f- extra full strength for the notes because we know we've got our work cut out for us. So let me just tell you that we are in the second segment. We have to set you up for the dress. We know that you're having all kinds of troubles with the dress. Uh, and if you don't know what we're talking about, I really, I have to ask, what is, 
what is going on in your life <laughs> that, you, that you would not know about this? Um, I mean, I was just in a pizza line with people who just didn't know about – who would not know about anything ordinarily and they knew about it. So um, – but we're, we're going to set you up. We're not ready and you're not ready. And when the time comes, you can call up and all this kind of stuff. We're going to begin someplace else. We need a, an overarching theory of culture. And so one thing that Brendan uh, shared with us, I kind of pointed out to us, and I hadn't really been following it all that uh, carefully, although it's so great. I'm so glad that I'm following it now, is the trial in which preemptively Robin Thicke, Pharrell Williams, and T.I. are suing the family of Marvin Gaye because they were about to be sued by the family of Marvin Gaye. And the reason that all this is happening because of, is because of a similarity or lack thereof, depending on whose story you accept, between uh, the song's blurred lines and you've got to give it up. So we're going to hear both of them. You'll hear the Robin Thicke, Pharrell Williams, brand new song of the summer, not really brand new anymore, song of the summer from 2013, uh, and then you'll hear uh, the Marvin Gaye tune after that. Here we go. Everybody get up. All right, so you're hearing a little bit uh, of each there. And if you couldn't tell the difference between the two, then you're basically accepting the case that's being made by the uh, family of Marvin Gaye. So, Brendan, this is something that you as a DJ would take a, a deep interest in. I also want to say that for a hip uh, New York scene star, Lauren was doing some extremely lame seat dancing. Uh, <laughs> um, Sorry. During the musical expect it from nutmeggers, but yeah, not that's right. New Yorkers. <laughs> we didn't bring you in here so you could dance like that. Um, I was given some hand action. Right. So, 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 Brendan, set this up for us, at least from your point of view. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting, personal, nasty, disgusting stuff that we can't wait to get into. But in terms of the actual strength or lack thereof of the, ca- of the case, where do you come down on this? I come down simply from a, a songwriting perspective. They are not the same song. They're in completely different keys. Uh, their tempos shift by about two degrees. It's 120 versus 122. Uh, they are so dissimilar that if you played them on top of each other in some kind of mashup sense, you would anybody would be able to tell that they're off-key put together. Um, I sense an expert witness uh, junket to L.A. coming somehow. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of expert witnesses being uh, testifying there. We'll come back to that question. But, Teresa, one thing that we do know from the trial and the coverage of the trial is that even more than we might have imagined, Robin Thicke is one of the most disgusting people who's ever lived. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the same room as Robin Thicke and you're not like – clutching your purse and ready to run I, something's wrong with you. that guy is hor- horrific either, either that or you should be saying could I have a sip of that please yeah. what is the stuff that he drank he, he was... says his favorite beverage at the time was a bottle of vodka with a Norco dissolved in it which is like a date rape drug date rape drug if I've ever heard it I, he, he was giving himself a date rape drug, though, which exactly. indicates that he, does, he hasn't really mastered the technology. Which is why no one could really figure out if Blurred Lines was really rapey or not when yeah. it was, yeah, he's Because he cosplayed himself. Yeah. Right. Oh. This, I mean, the other thing that I find astonishing, and um, Lauren, I don't know whether Brendan is making you read all the same stuff that he's making us read, but, um, <laughs> you know, 
the the cravenness of Robin Thicke. I mean, even granting that Brendan's correct uh, on the on the musical argument, Robin Thicke's position so far has been that he didn't that he only partly wrote the song. He suddenly announced he'd only partly written the song, or he'd barely written the song, and then I think he changed it to he hadn't written the song at all. Yeah. I mean, he was sort of prepared to accept royalties and credit until <laughs> the heat got turned up. I think he was just drinking a little bit too much of his special drink. I think his uh, I think that's the excuse for memory shifting and reality shifting on that one. <laughs> I, I do think, Jacques, when your excuse for something, now his excuse for why he said something different at the time of interviews was that he was drinking this thing that uh, Teresa just described. When that's your excuse, I mean, usually <laughs> you get accused of drinking vodka with date rape drug in it, and you have to come up with an excuse for why that would be true, or you have to deny it. When you're actually bringing that up to explain some other behavior, you're scraping rock bottom, I think. <laughs> so are we upset that he, that he isn't applying the, uh, the date rape defense across the board? Or is he? I, I mean, I have to say, I haven't been. I, I knew <laughs> that this was that. going on, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, you just have to look at him to know he's a dirtbag. So, <laughs> the I, well, the other thing that's happening is that musical experts, not unlike Brendan Sullivan, are being brought in. And for, well, the first thing that happened was I think yesterday. Uh, Robin Thicke was at the piano at the trial, right? <laughs> yeah, and he played a medley just to prove. That you know that a lot of songs are similar. How close to witness tampering is that? I mean, like um, that's not even a fair trial. Like if if the whole jury is sitting there being like, I can't wait for Robin Thicke to go on. Well, like it's the VMAs or yeah, something. Witness tampering would be if you offered him some of that drink to get him to stop playing. Oh, that yeah, would be <laughs> that'd be if he offered is, it to me. So yeah. what is he suing them for? Like pain and suffering, or what's he? What's he just what's preemptively wanted to uh, to prove that his song was not stolen, which. Seems very, very. But I, I mean, mean, it's it's, it's not like you use the courts to necessarily <laughs> settle a generic art. Is he is he going for for money from Marvin Gaye's estate? This is this is the lead part of the. Wish we had a lawyer on the panel, uh, inst- but instead we drafted a comedian. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, well, you failed us. I thought he <laughs> wanted to keep them from being able to sue yeah, him. Yeah, like if he wins, right. they can't sue right. him. Now I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, I don't know how the California <laughs> state, minds, uh, state yeah. courts work on I that. I thought they had worked out a deal. Did it fall apart? It, it apparently I, I, It's clear that I'm not up to snuff yeah. on this well, subject. I've been saving myself for the dress debate. Is, <laughs> like, why was this not just a sample? Like, if if that's really what they wanted to do, like, every, I mean, it's not really a hip-hop song, but every other hip-hop artist in the world has just sampled the song and I'm, paid for I'm the rights. I'm happy rights. to answer like, that question for Okay, you. go ahead. Okay, in mm-hmm. songwriting law is completely based on making sheet music. And in sheet music, you can look at notes on a page and say, that song is different from that song. Mm-hmm. Sampling law is all based on that same thing. However, most samples are drum beats, and you cannot copyright the medley of a drum beat. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why in okay. hip hop you hear the same drums over mm-hmm. and over again with a little instrumentation on top. So uh, one of the things that happened yesterday, uh, Robin Thicke did play this medley of songs to prove that songs are often do sound very similar, even though they're not the same song and they're not legally actionable. Um, as one website pointed out, he actually stole that medley too uh, from, a group, <laughs> from a group called the Axis of Awesome, who have 33 million hits on a YouTube video of them of, of them doing basically that that very same concept with uh, pretty much the same songs and. And since then, there's been um, a witness called by the Gay family. Uh, she is Judith Fennell. She was called to the stand by the children of Marvin Gaye. Uh, and she she said, contrary to uh, Brendan, 
that the hook, baseline, and melodic theme repeated throughout the songs were very similar. There were, so were parts of the lyrics, she told jurors, including lines that the family's attorney, Richard Bush, deemed too vulgar to be read out loud in court. Um, and, uh, and both songs break into a spoken interlude. T.I.'s rap for Blurred Lines and the parlando in Gotta Give It Up, which is, I think, the first time the word parlando has ever <laughs> occurred in a, the same sentence with T.I. or a lot of this other stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it sort of – it does sort of – one of the um, essays that we read uh, getting ready for this show was – we read a bunch of essays about sort of sameness, how there's – in a lot of culture, there's either a sense that many things are just flowing towards sameness or that these these kind of people sort of snatch up this or that aesthetic without having a lot of conviction to it. I don't know, Brendan. Is there a way to link those to uh, this? Yeah, I w- and I would say this: um, us, you know, reporters and you know, news gathering types are used to taking different sources and putting our own sort of spin on it. Whether it's your weekly column or your radio address, uh, the simple version of that would be that. Everybody reads their horoscope and they read something into it and they go like, of course that's me right there. <laughs> so Robin Thicke has this like horoscope version of it. Like, no, this is my spin on it because he wants to break out from the sameness of R&B or the sameness of EDM and the other things on the radio. But you kind of end up still becoming more of the same. And I mean, that's even even there in the testimony, Teresa, where at one point – they they they've made it clear. I think Pharrell Williams had said in an inter- interview, or maybe Robin Thicke, had, you know, I really like that Marvin Gaye song. Let's do something like that, mm-hmm. which is sort of different to me than writing a song. Like, let's do something like that. Well, I mean, were you ever going to accuse Robin Thicke of originality or having it? You know, like, <laughs> like he doesn't seem like a guy. Like he needs Pharrell around, obviously, to do anything because I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what his but contribution I, is. But to I, the I don't game. see any problem with saying, I, you know, let's let's do something in along those lines. I mean, one of the things that's great about Uptown Funk, the Mark Ronson, Bruno Mars song, is that it takes you back mm-hmm. to that Morris Day in the time '80s feel that you haven't heard on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there really wasn't anything like Blurred Lines, you know, in in recent years and that's part of why I think it, it you know grabbed the zeitgeist because it took you back to the same thing when you're at a wedding and you hear got to give it up and everyone yeah. starts jamming well here's the question is did the song did the original uptown funk recordings and uh, the original Marvin Gaye song did they miss their time in the sun whether it's because they weren't on rock radio or black radio or white radio and are people kids now who it doesn't even there's no difference to them are they now discovering marvin gay because blurred lines was such a popular song yeah it's like harken back to what inspires you mm-hmm. i i yeah. will say I, I don't know how to answer that question exactly other than to say that one of the more interesting cultural experiences that i've had so far in 2015 and i don't know how many other people saw this was this uh, kind of all-star um, celebrity tribute to stevie wonder uh, that um, and and one of the this just incredible moments was this guy Ed Sheeran who I only knew about because I knew a number of you know young ladies who are sophomores in high school and are pretty excited <laughs> about Ed Sheeran um, and I did and he came out with a, and and just with an acoustic guitar and foot pedals um, and did did this Stevie Wonder I did I was made to love her 
and just controlling it all with foot pedals. And it was, I mean, they panned to Stevie a couple times, and his jaw had dropped, and not in just obvious, like, wow, this is amazing. And that might get to the point that you're making, which is that some of this music just needs to be revived. Probably mm-hmm. better to revive it with its actual name and, you know, credit credit to the original songwriter and stuff. But I always I always think about uh, when people say like steal steal what inspires you and steal what you know in terms of like artistic creation and reproduction especially like in the comedy world i know a lot of comedians have uh have taken uh jokes from their idols and have retooled it because i mean is it not like everything that you come up with it has been done before in a way so i don't know i would would say that there's i mean look there's 88 keys on the keyboard but there's really only 24 keys you can write a song in right so how many times has that key been used in that tempo Mm -hmm. in your style no, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a little break here. I think we've warmed you up enough. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready for the dress. Uh, so uh, we'll take a little break. We'll be back with more of the news. So uh, actually, it's sort of um, strangely appropriate, if that's the right word, day to get the terrible news that Leonard Nimoy has died because we've been having this Star Trek day for actually really the last two days here where all the equipment doesn't work and we have to uh, improvise the way Scotty uh, used to. Uh, but everything's going great so far. It's falling apart. Fingers crossed. You know, Yeah, you know those sort of moments when, when Kirk would say, Scotty, do we have any rubber bands anywhere here that we can – Turn the propellers with. Um, it's been sort of like that around here. All right, so now we're ready. Who wants to try to explain? You, you, Teresa Kramer. Me? Do you want to try to set this, set up the dress, the story of the dress? Uh, sure. For that, that lone person sitting out there who, by the way, if you want to comment on the dress now, you have to dial now because it'll just, you'll miss it. 860-275-7266. While Teresa composes herself. So, Teresa Kramer, the story begins when you put one of your dresses up on eBay. Yes. Uh, Take it from there. Well, Some poor lady was out there shopping, and she saw a dress and got into a fight with whoever she was with about what color it was, and she took a picture and posted it on her Tumblr. Then BuzzFeed found it, and now it's viral, and the entire world is fighting over whether or not it's white and gold or black and blue. All right. The first— Okay, continue, continue. No, you, you sort of said that it was really taking over your life last night. or Well, it's well, it's taken over my online life, right, because you can't go anywhere without seeing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, Facebook has decided it's all you're allowed to see. Uh, Twitter Instagram is pretty too. much the same thing, yeah. yeah. So uh, we were going to do an informal poll uh, just to sort of – so, uh, Lauren. All right. It's it is a blue and black dress. <laughs> it is it white is, and gold. <laughs> I I dare to I beg to differ, sir. <laughs> All right, Jacques. It's blue and black. All right. I saw white and gold. I saw white what? and gold too. It's three to two anyway, oh, but that doesn't prove that anything. Uh, what I'm wondering is if if like maybe we share like a slight color blindness. In that is one of the theories oh. that, that you there, there's there may be a now the pe- the blue and black people are going to get really offended by this. Mm-hmm. But if there's a problem, according anyway to a really good lengthy article by David Pogue, who cannot be gainsaid, um, the, if there's a problem, it's in the cones of the blue-black people. 
Uh, they, oh. You may have a slight red-green cone deficiency. I'm not saying you do, but and, dress, but and that doesn't affect my act- estimation of you as a person, too. You're still a good person. But the yeah. dress is actually empirically provable, blue and black. Nothing right. could be less meaningful. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but the, but the thing is, then why are the people who yeah. are seeing it the way that, that the manufacturer and God intended? Yeah. <laughs> why are we so the ones sentient. with the faulty no, roses? This is, no, no, no. Yeah, this is the Instagram filter problem where you go, like, wow, you look so tan and healthy today. Mm-hmm. And it's right. like, I'm an X6 Pro, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. David Pogue says it doesn't matter what the original dress of the. I don't know why I'm setting David Bowie. Well, anyway. what's really... strange about it is that they're so completely different colors, right? Like, I, I have yeah. a friend who actually claims to be colorblind. No one really believes him, but he says he is. And it's, <laughs> you know, he has a problem with why, blues. Why would green. no one believe him? Yeah, I mean, why? Because he's a proven liar. It's not like he claims he, he got <laughs> shot at in his helicopter in Iraq. Well, no, because I mean... every once in a while he'll be like, oh, did you see that thing over there, the blue thing? And you'll be like, I thought you were colorblind. Like, he, uh, he's clearly uh, lying about right. it, but whatever. So, um, but, you know, he confuses colors that are very close together, or at mm-hmm. least he claims to, like blues yeah. and greens and that sort of, but the, I mean, white and gold and blue and black look nothing like each other. So that's what's incredibly confusing about it. I think what's incredibly interesting about it is the heatedness, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. this is no ordinary dispute. Mm-hmm. So does anybody have an overarching cultural theory about, like, why why are people freaking out? I mean, why is Julianne Moore well, jumping on a I, in a conversation <laughs> with Taylor Swift about this? I mean, I think part of it is, I mean, everyone was like seven, 17 and high at some point going like, how do I know <laughs> that the blue you see is the same blue I see? Where were you, you when we were yeah, getting that? Yeah. 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 Uh, but I mean, it, it messes with our... Our heads. I mean, because I was sitting next to my husband. I'm like, why are people even thinking they can see white and gold? It's clearly <laughs> blue and black. And I show it to him. He's like, no, it's white and gold. You're insane. Mm-hmm. And so the yeah, fact that, I mean, it's it's not like where two people can politically look at the same situation and see completely different things. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it it's something that seems like it, uh, you know, that it's, are we all readily the same, understood? Are we all the same species at this point? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's made it made me lose faith in my husband. <laughs> and there was this, I found out about it on Facebook kind of late last night from this woman who's saying that she literally started screaming at her computer because all of a sudden. The dress turned white and gold. <laughs> I had After a couple she had... of experiences like that, like scrolling down and then scrolling back up yeah. and being like, what just happened to me? I, I want to bring this back to Marvin Gaye for a second yeah. because I think when one of these things gets us so upset, mm-hmm. it doesn't say anything about who we are. It just says something about where we are mm-hmm. as a people, as a culture. We're at the point where we can all have our own opinions, but we don't. We have this culture of sameness that it hurts us like we i'll put it this way i i make my own clothes and it is astonishing to people when i show them how simple it is to do it Mm -hmm. and it but what's more astonishing is how hard it is to go through your life without having one thing done just for you Mm -hmm. in a single day something that's just personal to you whether it's at starbucks whether it's a pair of pants you're wearing whether it's how your paycheck gets issued the mail anything one thing that is just like mother's milk for you only so when something like this comes up, it really springs us to life again, being like, no, I see this, and this is the way I see it, and no one else does, and you feel special for it. It's moment. also yeah, sort of a shared place. moment at the same time that we don't have anymore because, you know, it's all happening at one time on the Internet, whereas we go home and I watch Breaking Bad 
today, but you watch it tomorrow, mm-hmm. or you watch it a week from now. But everybody is on the internet talking about it, and you can't miss it. Yeah. So you have. So it's but one of the. We, we don't have the attention. Like the to, yeah, we don't have the attention span to watch the Super Bowl anymore. We <laughs> right. can just watch, like you know, look at something mm-hmm. for two seconds. Mm-hmm. We, we have things that are more individualized these days. Like you know, you can have your Netflix queue that's mm-hmm. very like specified to your taste. But I don't. Yeah, you're right. I don't think that we have that moment of everyone coming out in public being like, this is team white and gold. This is team black and... Or team yeah, llama, because yeah. it was a live thing unfolding, and if you weren't watching it right then, you just missed the llama drama, and so that's <laughs> or, why or people left got shark. excited about it. Yeah, yeah or, or left, left shark. shark. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, I put up uh, as a tweet today, and this, this would be one of these tweets that sort of, you know, either you're in the club or you're not. I said, has anybody else heard the rumor that white llama is dating left shark? <laughs> and I got, I got retweeted a lot but I also realize there's something kind of obnoxious about that because, you know, anybody who doesn't understand what those two things mean. But it's like, it's kind of comedy T-ball. Yeah. That hand where you're like... (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I I like your theory, Brendan, although I think I see it a little bit differently and and maybe a little bit similar to what Lauren was saying in the sense that I think what happens is there's so many things that we can control, right? You can control your Netflix queue. I mean, increasingly, our, our culture, we can make our culture pretty bespoke, you know, in the sense of, I mean, setting setting up what, what's – we know what's going to happen all day long, you know, because I mm-hmm. DVR'd this, you know, and I've got this, and I usually listen to this podcast, and mm-hmm. I, we kind of know what's going to happen. With that culture of choice. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you don't even have to run home to check your answering machine anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of just know what's, what's – what, and so then we start to cherish these highly disruptive moments. Like I didn't know I was going to be in this huge – mind game about the dress, like what color the dress is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this time yesterday, getting... we were going to talk about something completely different on the show, and yeah. then the dress, happened, the dress happened, and the show had yeah. to change. And I love the, the the third party that are not any blue and black or gold and white, the people who are angry that people are talking about it or think the dress is ugly. <laughs> I think it's ugly. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, oh, I love when that happens, when, when people get offended that other people have an interest that they don't have, and it's mm-hmm. filling their feet, like mm-hmm. whether you're, whether you live in California and everyone's posting pictures of snow or whatever it yeah. is. Oh, <laughs> uh, by the way, if you do want to uh, offer your own opinion, our number is eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Right now, we have Keith on the board, but he wants to talk about Marvin Gaye and Robin Thicke. So this, this is the timing problem: eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. I mean, I, and it really was sort of an. It was like somebody called it internet singularity yesterday, or viral singularity. In this, well, actually, let me ask you this, because sure. Lauren, because one of the things you do is. To try to create stuff that will go viral, you know. Yeah. So it must be a little bit frustrating uh, <laughs> to put a lot of work into a comedy video, uh, which you've done many times, and and I I don't know what your record is for hits or for viral disturbances, but then you watch these two dumb llamas running around Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that's that's a that's a point of contention for the different sketch groups that I've been on, where we will. Think of an idea and, and feel like, oh, we've really tapped into a cultural lexicon with this one. We really, oh, we hate gold. And then we'll spend, like, how much money you know, from our own resources into a video and then put it up and we'll get 7,000 hits instead of, like, 800,000 or, uh, or something along those lines. It's, it's, yeah, it's funny trying to figure out what will stir up everyone's blood in a way. Um, back to the back to the records. Uh, yeah. Amit, the, the great producer Amit, you'll pronounce this last, again. Yes, better than I can. Uh, he said, "You can always predict what would have been a hit in the past, but you can never predict what will be a hit in the future." Meaning, <laughs> yeah. meaning you can say like, "Oh, Robin Thicke would have been great in the disco era," but how would you know if you weren't the last disco song to be heard? 
It's 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 funny actually uh, come, how we're pairing up these two uh, the topics that we were talking about today because actually my sketch group Garlic Jackson we last summer before the uh, the the issue with uh, what was uh, what was this comedian uh, oh shoot I forgot uh, well the blurred lines parody my group uh, took that song and we did a mashup of the Cosby Show mm-hmm. in addition <laughs> so we had the blurred lines theme song paired up perfectly to the video introduction of the Cosby Ooh. Show and then Ooh. when the Cosby allegations came forward it was it was a point of do we repost this video again yeah. even though uh, it went yes. viral it's timing because timing that, yeah. that that wasn't it wasn't the point of the of the joke originally, right? Right, yeah. and then it suddenly became relevant in a entirely different context. The song's called Blurred Lines. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it was, and it was created it while on a date rape drug. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Although I think, oh, I think Teresa, I think Teresa Craver really does really, come it's, back well, it's to the llamas, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's not real. I mean, it's not really a date rate drug. drug. It's just like super powerful Vicodin. But if you combine it with vodka and then drink an entire bottle of it, I'm pretty sure you're going to pass out. If you drink out of his Nalgene bottle, does the dress change color right then and there? Also, never drink out of a Nalgene bottle when you're hanging with Robin Thicke. It's just a bad idea. Wait, there's one thing I do want to say about this is that like these things viral what's the hit of the day music and comedy they're all about timing if you play the right note at the wrong time it's wrong if your joke has bad timing it's not funny and if your news if you prepare for the news and then Leonard Nimoy dies mm-hmm. you know you've got to shift around a little i i, I thought what i thought you were going to say cuz you sent us this really good um this really good article about cuz i was sort of saying well so this there's something very genuine uh, and spontaneous about black and white llamas in Arizona or about the dress. I mean, nobody could have planned this. We know all day long that Lauren and Garlic Jackson are trying to manipulate us, trying to get us to, to, to like something and, and to and click on it and stuff like that. But nobody planned this. It just happened. Although you sent us this piece that argued, well, that – that moment lasts about two seconds, and then this sort of aggregation and compilation process starts led by BuzzFeed and all its imitators. So that it, that kind of su- – mm-hmm. the argument was it sort of sucks the joy and spontaneity out of that pretty quickly. Oh, right, because as soon as the spontaneous moment happens, everyone reports on it the same way. Yeah. It's on every – yeah, and it's instantaneous now. It used to be it would be on the cover of newspapers that you never saw all over, all over the state or the world. And, and, I mean, for example, at Slate, they actually – they now have a tag and a whole kind of subsection for coverage of the dress. <laughs> no way. Yeah. I hope the dress gets a show or something out of this. Yeah, well, yes, I, say I, yes to the black and blue dress. <laughs> Do we know yeah. where one can buy the dress? Where was this lady? If, There's yeah. a link on Amazon on, UK. On, on Canal Street right <laughs> now. I mean <laughs> – if that dress has not been knocked off and is not for sale on Canal Street, something has gone I wish very it was wrong. Closer to Halloween, that would be the yeah, it right. costume, that or a llama, yeah. or okay. a llama in the dress. I do want to say about viral though. There's everything that makes something viral is all about the frame you put around it, and mm. it happens yeah. that a lot of cell phone pictures become viral because there's such a tight frame. Like the dress is so zoomed in that you have almost no context that you're creating it. Mm-hmm. And the llamas, you are cha- you are, you are, there's so much tension to that video mm-hmm. because you can't move your head left or right. You can't zoom in or out. You're just like, get that llama. Like, 
<laughs> the vine where the guy gets it with the lasso. Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. if that car took a left or a right, you'd miss it. That provides the tension to the frame that makes it a great story. I wasn't saying get that llama. I was saying run, llama, run. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because I was saying. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, and I really did. I, there were some wonderful tweets uh, while that was happening. One, one guy tweeted, the llamas have taught me that you should always run from the police. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so a, a lot of that kind of stuff. All right. So here we go. We have a call from Kat. I'm also wondering, are we spontaneous enough? To, does everybody want to say something about Leonard Nimoy as we go out of this segment? Uh, Rest in peace. Think, uh, think for a second about that, whether you've got something to say. And meanwhile, here's Kat in Middletown. Hi, Kat. You're on the air. Hi. I was actually, when I first saw this yesterday, I was a little bit confused about it. Um, but I actually kind of thought that it was a social experiment. Um, just kind of something as innocuous as a dress, it seems to be polarizing most of Facebook the same way that politics does or any social issue is. Who would be conducting? I mean, our robot overlords? Uh, who would uh, be conducting? That's actually so what I thought. Know. That was my first Because <laughs> 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 who could play in such a thing? I just found it refreshing at first thinking, isn't it great to be on Facebook with nutbag people I went to high school with, and we're not arguing about, like, is global warming a myth? <laughs> you know, we're like, the dress is pink! Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, Leonard Nimoy did die, and we just got the news about an hour ago, and um, in terms of uh, age, Jacques and I are probably the ones. Did you watch Star Trek growing up in the wilds of uh, not northern really. Yeah. Not really. I was more, you know, team Star Wars. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. When it when it came to, I was like more the right age for Star Wars. People do break one way or the other on this. Uh, although I do feel like he's also. I don't watch The Big Bang Theory, but I feel like he has been really revived and celebrated. My understanding by the by the Big Bang Theory. I, I'll just sort of open the floor. We can sort of break and go to endorsements if you want. But does anybody have like a little letter Nimoy thing? I'm looking at you. You're an entertainer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just nothing but utmost respect and fondness. I feel like he really represented. It, it's just the image of him as Spock, and also, it, it just it—I it, don't know. It was just something really cool to see uh, an actor come across as this kind of crazy-looking character, and have that be, and him be able to deviate from that and play like, like all these different roles off of that. Like that's pretty impressive to become an icon. I mean, at the risk of overthinking this, one thing that I would say is that often in science fiction and fantasy, things that are, are real but we don't know how to talk about them get played out uh, in the form of whatever the capital O other is. And so, I mean, you know, you look at the character of Spock and he's a little bit, you know, in Myers-Briggs terminology, he's an INTP, which is also what I am, um, <laughs> in, 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 the, in the language of, of modern diagnostics, you know, he might be a little bit somewhere on the Asperger's spectrum disorder. Order, um, uh, yeah, but but he we were sort of shown somebody who was struggling with the whole question of human emotions, right? And and not only that uh, of being the character of Spock is you know he's from a mixed marriage too, you know, I mean, he's struggling with issues of identity. Maybe he's like a predictor of Barack Obama if you think about it. <laughs> you know, that's that's who owes the greatest debt to Spock. Spock got us ready for Barack Obama, a guy from a mixed marriage with not much access to his emotions. Uh, (laughs) All right. Maybe that fell uh, the wrong way. Um, So, uh, okay. The pipes are calling. The pipes are calling. And so we have to say goodbye to the dress, uh, to the llamas, to Leonard Nimoy. Uh, We're going to come back with, uh, since we have an extra person, we'll leave a little extra time for endorsements when we come back.
try to remember the time before the dress and the llamas, the whole thing is just blank. What did we talk about in those days? Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kyone Wolf, with special help from Jean Amatruda. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Pharrell Williams. For show pages, articles, and confusing photos of the entire Faith Middleton show staff trying to wear one dress at the same time, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday's show, the scramble picks up the pieces. And now... Back to the notes. Yeah, I think on the scramble on Monday, we may still be talking about Leonard Nimoy. By the way, if you have like a remembrance or a thought of Leonard Nimoy, we, we might have time. So you can call 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. About any of the topics we've been discussing today, you may tweet us at WNPR Colin. That's where Greg Hill, our tweet master, is working right now. In the studio with us here on the notes, we have Teresa Kramer and Jacques Lamar, them you know well. We have Brendan J. Sullivan, who will be the featured speaker at the mouth, the storytelling event Wolfie will be hosting tonight. Night at the Mark Twain House at 7.30. Uh, and with him also Lauren Ireland, actor, writer, and director based in NYC. She's a part of the sketch group Garlic Jackson. You can see their latest work, It's a Freelance Life, uh, a, a, an Annie parody that resonates very well uh, around here, especially with Jacques' co-worker, Julia Pastel, um, <laughs> who's living the freelance life right now if it kills her. Uh, and may. So hit it may. So uh, we're going to do some endorsements right now. Uh, the kids from uh, New York, they've never heard endorsements before, so <laughs> Teresa Kramer, show them how it's done. Uh, I'm going to endorse Togetherness on HBO, which I just started watching last night, and I've seen two episodes, and I think it's really funny and sweet. Okay, I, we have to quickly talk about this. So Togetherness, HBO has basically, they've kind of settled on a comic style right now, and the comic theme is, I'm somewhere in my 20s, and it's not working out the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the theme of a lot of their comedies, yeah. and that is very yeah. much the theme of Togetherness. It's even Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon Valley Girls. It's all like life isn't really what I thought it was going to be. 20s? I think these people Well, they, may, they 30s, might be in their yeah. 30s, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say mm-hmm. uh, uh, Amanda Peet deserves a special shout-out for the kind of performance she's giving. I think she's great. I really liked her. There was a show called like Studio Something a while ago. It was with like Chandler Bing was on it and some other people. And she was on it, and she Leonard was really Nimoy, great then, too. And she, but yeah, I like her a lot. It's, it's the, uh, the, I won't disrupt anything. There's a scene in one of the recent uh, things where she's trying to get the character played by Mark Duplass to smile, and he's just too upset to smile. <laughs> and she's, she smiles at him in this very weird, you have to sort of look at it. So it's just an incredible tick. She goes, look at me. And she's smiling. She goes, I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but on the other hand, I, I, I want to hear from you for like after five episodes. Okay, I'll report hang, back like next month. This, on whether the you can notes. hang with these people, because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with the question about whether I want to go there. Is that okay. that's that your one endorsement? You have? Do you have yeah, I didn't really have any. That's all right. It's all right. One is plenty. Yeah. Uh, I could endorse the mouth, but all right. Uh, Jacques, Jacques, up next. Uh, I want to endorse two things. Um, the first is former uh, NPR intern Lila Call appearing on Little Women L.A. and <laughs> Little Women New York, the oh, spinoff really? yes. that she's going to be on. Um, I was, uh, I, I'm so team Lila and I was so horrified about how those ladies treated her when she went out to LA and now she's getting her own and series. These are reality shows about little people. About little people. Yeah. Yes. Lila um, Call was an intern here and she was made to be on a reality show. I don't know why I never thought of that. I know. And so, <laughs> she, you know, I, she was agonizing over whether or not she wanted to do it, but she's really actually enjoying it. So, um, so tune in to Little Women New York when she makes her. Uh, she had an ep- a three-episode arc on Little Women L.A. where they were horrible to her. 
Uh, but cool. then she gets her own series, so we're very excited about that for for Lila. Um, second, I want to introduce uh, or um, endorse. Uh, Brendan J. Sullivan's book, um, which we'll actually be having tonight uh, available at at the mouth. Um, but I read it months ago when we were supposed to have Brendan. He had a he had a mishap, and so we had to put his appearance on layaway. But um, the book is called "Rivington Was Ours: Lady Gaga, The Lower East Side, and the Time of Our Lives." Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a it's a great snapshot of his his time of a, a certain period of time. In New York, and yes, Lady Gaga is a character in the overall story, but it's really about love for New York and love for music and love for the scrappy life uh, that is mm-hmm. that is not easy. And as I was reading it, I said to myself, "I'm really grateful that I did not move to New York." <laughs> and so, uh, but I mean, it's a it's um it's a, it's a wonderful read, so I, I highly recommend it. I've read it too. Uh, we did a show uh, about Brendan with it, and I can co-endorse it. Uh, I want to say, first of all, Jane's on the line to talk about Leonard Nimoy. Jane, Jane just hang there to the end of the endorsements, if you will. I really do want to have a little bit of time to talk to uh, Leonard Nimoy, and she has some memories of a speech she heard him give. If anybody else wants to talk to Leonard Nimoy or, or make an outside endorsement, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. I'll give the kids a, a little bit more time to warm up here, uh, and I'll do <laughs> I'll do some endorsements. Uh, one of them is the movie Timbuktu, which was uh, nominated f- for Best Foreign Film. Uh, it was beaten by Ida. Ida's a great movie. Timbuktu, it really is, too. It's set in, I think it's actually supposed to be in Mali, because that's where Timbuktu really is. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, this sounds incredibly grim, and it is incredibly grim at times. It, it really is about um, uh, a place in North Africa being occupied by something that strongly resembles ISIS. Uh, it, on the other hand, has these kind of amazing, absurd, dark, Kafka-esque uh, comic elements. And I say dark, but in fact, the whole thing is very brightly lit and very deserty. And um, it's a remarkable movie, and, and it stirs up all kinds of emotions in you. And I thought Ido was the best foreign film of the year, and then I saw Timbuktu, and I almost had to rethink the whole thing. So it wasn't real art ways. It unfortunately has left, but I'm sure you can get it on some platform or other. Uh, and then... Um, Oh, a couple of musical things. I don't know. I, Brendan may not want to go along with this on me, but I was sort of uh-huh. thinking earlier about uh, the this sort of whole notion of what we were talking about before of mashups, uh, of of copying, of making interesting use of other people's music. And um, long, long ago, which probably means on the internet, like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, a lot of us started to look at Pomplamus, which is this duo, and they kind of specialize in this, and they, they, they do interesting covers of songs, and, and the lead singer has this interestingly kind of affectless um, way of singing uh, in which she uses her eyes a little bit but doesn't really change her facial expression too much. But they do really interesting things and I don't know, I sort of tuned them out for a while and then I reconnected with them. I think they have a new album coming out and they're specifically doing more than they have in the past real mashup-y kinds of stuff. So they even did, for example, Pharrell Williams' Happy but over the beat uh, and baseline, I think, of Get Lucky. Um, so the, they're increasingly doing, oh. you know, sort of some interesting stuff, but doing it in their unique Pomplamoose style. And yeah, I think I have time uh, here also just to say, I kind of alluded to this before, but if you, I don't really under, know what TV, I don't know where it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> how you will find it. So this is, you know, notoriously unhelpful. But this this tribute that was done, I think, in connection with the Grammys, maybe at the same time of the Grammys, when that number and assortment of people were already there around and available. This tribute to Stevie Wonder is has some very remarkable moments, including Ed Sheeran doing I Was Made to Love Her. The one that's easy to find on YouTube is the opening number, which is a medley in which Beyonce walks up onto the stage and starts uh, up with fingertips part two and then is joined by Ed Sheeran and then in, joined by Gary Clark Jr. And it, it's about nine minutes, a nine-minute Stevie Wonder medley, and they are just blowing the roof off the place. So there are, there are a lot of really good performances in this. Stevie's in the audience, uh, obviously enjoying what's happening. Uh, and it's a very the audience is very musical, and you can actually see people sitting in the audience when they pan there, singing backup parts and stuff. They just kind of know <laughs> what they're supposed to do. So all right, it's time for the New Yorkers. Brendan, you go first. What are you going to endorse? Okay. Um, Colin and I have a tradition going back to the 90s of trying to pick the next breakout female singer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last time I was on the show, Colin asked me, you know, do you still have your ear to the ground? And I said, uh, I want you to keep your eye out for this girl from New Zealand named Lord. You'll be hearing a lot more about her. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to back that up. I'm going to double down on (laughs) Janet Devlin and her song is House of Cards. She's a... uh, fire-haired girl from Ireland. She's got a voice. She sounds great. She doesn't sound like anybody else. And her songs are, even if they're in dancey EDM beats, they're always written on guitars, played with human instruments. They're really inspiring and lovely. Maybe we can post them. All right. And maybe Lauren could uh, play her in a parody someday. Yeah. (laughs) Like tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. You have to do it soon. Yeah, we'll Mm. jump right on it. Get the film crew together. Yeah, what do you got? Um, I uh, I endorse the series Transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, my very good friend is producing a pilot with the uh, showrunner of the show, Jill Soloway, which will be coming out, I do believe, uh, in the next year or so. And uh, I, I binge-watched it for the first time, uh, I think like three weeks ago, and it was absolutely beautiful in terms of cinematography, shots, composition, music, and the writing is just really well done. I know that uh, the show itself was getting a little bit of flack in terms of casting, but I have to say that it's an extremely humanist show, and I appreciate what it's bringing to the table. Yeah, I think it's a show about a lot of things, too. Not just about that the Jeffrey Tambor's character, about that one journey, but also it's a show about a lot of different kinds of sex and sexuality. It's also, I am told, a very accurate reflection of a certain... Uh, stratum of American Jewish life, Jewish life in Los Angeles. Uh, there certainly are conversations about coleslaw uh, that I really. <laughs> I have to get both kinds of the coleslaw. I have to get the both kinds of the coleslaw. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't just get the one kind of coleslaw. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are Can you? Can I unendorse something? I, I, that's never <laughs> happened before. I want to unendorse. <laughs> no, I want to unendorse Eddie Redmayne's Oscar, having seen Jupiter ascending, <laughs> and his incredibly horrible performance in it. So I want to unendorse his Oscar. I don't think that has the effect of law or anything like that. I mean, I think think we'll still get to keep his Oscar. No, I mean, there are people who should lose their Oscars like Mira Sorvino and Nicolas Cage. But but (laughs) Nicolas Cage has lost his Oscar, actually. I I mean, he just misplaced it somewhere. (laughs) He doesn't know where it is. But Whoopi Goldberg should have hers taken away, too. But I, you know, it's like I've never seen someone so quickly where I've been like, oh, they should have their Oscar taken away. All right. Uh, we are going <laughs> to quickly go to the phones here. We've got uh, Jane in Hamden, as promised. Hi, Jane. You're on the air. Hi. How you doing? Good. Yeah, my uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. I'm fighting cold. Uh, my, my Leonard Nimoy story was I saw him at uh, SUNY Geneseo back in the late 70s, and he was trying to shed his Spock image, and the Trekkies hadn't really come 
really uh, gotten that popular. So he was trying to read some of his poetry at this, this talk, and nobody was really reacting to him too much. And one of the guys who happened to be in my dorm stood up, and he wanted to come up and get an autograph, and he was in the full Trekkie uniform. And Leonard Nimoy just kind of looked at him, and he gave that arched eyebrow, and he just shook his head and said, you need help. <laughs> sort of apropos of the the eventual Shatner uh, Saturday night Saturday Night Live denunciation of them. All right, was it was it was I mean there is something a little sad about Leonard Nimoy trying to get people to listen to his poetry, but then and su- his singing he also had singing good, and yeah. conducting. I think he conducted orchestras as well. I mean, yeah. But if Suzanne Summers could get her published, her poetry published, which I know for a fact she has, and Jewel, yeah. uh, and Jewel, yeah, Jewel, then why not Leonard Nimoy? Okay, we have a call from Steve in Hartford. Hi, Steve. Hi. Hi. You're on I the hear air. All this discussion, look uh, about the blue and black llamas. Mm. I'm virtually certain that they were white and gold alpacas. All right. Well, they weren't uh, blue and black anyway. We know that. But uh, thanks for that. Um, we have just a, a couple of – we have about a minute left. And, Brendan, there was one thing that I was kind of hoping or thinking that you might endorse, and I, I, I it was up on your Tumblr or one of your many platforms. I think it's sort of a thing worth saying, which was that you were watching, uh, as a lot of America was, the American Sniper trial, the um, trial of the guy who, who killed uh, Chris Kyle and, and one other person. And you had an interesting reaction to that. I was wondering maybe a sort of an sure. extra endorsement whether you could, uh, in the 60 seconds or so that we've got left, just – uh, mention that absolutely, um, and we'll post it to the the our, the Facebook. Uh, in st- at when it came time to report on the the end of the trial, I just was writing the lead, and I said, you know, instead of writing about moralization of this, guns, violence, militarization, we just posted a group of uh, ten organizations that have been vetted by Charity.org, getting an A plus rating based on their financial records for helping veterans the most, and we listed them. You can donate a dollar, you can like, you can share. And then also for active duty service members, whether you want to send a salami to your boy in the army or care packages or notes to wounded veterans and soldiers uh, across the country. I think that's a great idea. So I want to thank everybody who's been on the show today. Lauren Ireland, great to meet you. Brendan J. Sullivan, great to have you in town. Go to the Mark Twain House at 730 tonight. That's The Mouth, the storytelling event hosted by Wolfie. uh, And Brendan will be the featured speaker, but there will be other storytellers as well. Uh, Teresa Kramer from The Cut, Jacques Lamar from uh, the Mark Twain House as well. We'll be back on Monday. We were going to do an interview uh, as one of our topics today, Arthur Chu's denunciation of Andrew Jackson on the 20. We didn't get to it, so we're hoping to have Arthur Chu join us, as he has in the past. On Monday, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Leonard Nimoy, so come back for that. Thanks to everybody who helped today. Glad the equipment worked. Woodbury, getting on New Britain, burning, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 On a more serious note today, thank you, Leonard Nimoy. May we all live long and prosper.